Hello, Spurs fans. Welcome back to A Bit Spursy. It has been a little bit of a break since our last episode, so we apologize about that. But um, Barney and I have both had a bunch of different projects on, and Barney's got quite a few coming up. So uh, I am going to be joined by um, some special guests over the next couple of episodes. And uh, today uh, we are going to have a lovely chat with Caroline Stefko from N17 Women, Spurs Across the Pond, and the Tottenham Depot. Hello. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> great, great. Uh, it's so great to have you on the pod. And if if you're not familiar with Caroline, Caroline runs, uh, I was going to say a blog. Would blog be doing it justice? Uh, a, a publication? Spurs Across the Pond? Technically a newsletter. A newsletter. A newsletter, yes. <laughs> yeah. And also a couple of podcasts, N17 Women and On the Tottenham Depot. That is correct. Yep. I am all over the airwaves somehow. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think maybe a, a good starting point would be uh, to maybe just dive into your your history with supporting Spurs, like when you first started uh, getting involved in that. And um, yeah, just kind of your background and, and how you ended up in this situation. <laughs> Yes. How did I end up supporting the most wild, crazy, infuriating club in the world? Um, basically, in 2018, after the World Cup, I was like, I want to get back into watching Premier League. You know, I had kind of been just a general fan of the league in the past and didn't attach myself to a team. But, you know, I was like, I'm going to go all in this time and actually stick with the club. So kind of just watched, you know, a few games to kind of see who I was liking and I was just really drawn to Spurs because of the players that were there at the time. Uh, you know, Sun obviously being a huge one, um, but also a lot of players that I had seen in the World Cup. And I'm also from San Antonio, Texas. So there was kind of the Spurs connection with that being my NBA team. So it just made sense. And uh, there have definitely been times when I've wondered what I've gotten myself into, but you know, Tottenham till I die, as they say. <laughs> you sound so resigned as you say that to defeat. <laughs> it's it's funny because I actually feel like more positive about the club after the week that we've had than I had in quite a while. So yeah, yeah, it's it's on the up. I firmly believe that. Yeah. So I guess in reference to that, that would be the the Man U game and the Liverpool game and the the comebacks we had uh, in those compared to say the Newcastle game the week before. Yeah, not the Newcastle game so much. That was that was a low point. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel when the goals were piling in for the Newcastle game? I'm assuming, do you get most of the games live in the States? Yes. So they're usually anywhere from like six in the morning to two in the afternoon, depending on the day of the week. So it's being in central time zone, it's actually not as bad as it is in some places in the U.S., like some of my Tottenham Depot co-hosts are on the West Coast and they'll be watching games at like 4 a.m. So it's not that bad. But we we get most of the games, you know, on either USA or Peacock streaming. For the Newcastle game, I was actually having one of my uh, two screen mornings because I was also watching the women's game on my laptop at the same time. So in a way, it was kind of nice that I was able to just sort of like tune out of the men's game when it got too dire. <laughs> And just was like, okay, I'm going to focus on the women's team. And their their game was a lot more exciting. So, yeah. yeah. Do they schedule games at the same time? I guess there's probably no huge control over that from the leagues. Yeah. Well, we usually don't have simultaneous games there. I don't think there really have been many this season, but that just happened to be the one that they were at the exact same time. And they were both, you know, really pivotal games. So that felt like really bad scheduling, but I guess they can't really predict 
at the beginning of the season, you know, which games are going to be the crucial ones. So it just so happened that way. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, I know it's probably challenging to work out with all the teams in the league, but have, have there ever been any calls for to just play the women's games at the stadium and I was going to say bundle them up with the men's. And so it's like, you've just got like a day full of football. Like I thought, I feel like that would be a good thing to have. Like a double header. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had, so this season, the women's team moved to a new home stadium that they primarily play at. So it's Brisbane road, AKA Leighton Orient's ground. And there was a day when I think the women's team played earlier in the morning and then the men's team were playing at Tottenham Hotspur later. So Fans could feasibly go to both games, and um, I don't know how many actually ended up doing that. But yeah, it would. It's you would like to see the women's team play more games at the main stadium, I think. But um, logistically, it's it's just kind of not there yet. Although there are teams in the WSL that play all their games at their club's main stadium. So I was going to say, please don't say the A word or the C word for the teams that do that. No, it's not them. No, uh, surprisingly. Okay, good. Okay, it is not them. It's actually Leicester and Reading of all teams. Oh, okay, right. Because I look, I just kind of feel it's like the. It's not like the stadium is being used for other purposes then, and if they're getting ready for match time, like I don't know, just I don't know the maintenance that would happen after one game to the next. Like I assume that someone just jumps on a little, not lawnmower, but something to just like kind of flatten out the ground again. And then we're all good. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it would just be nice. This is also coming from someone who couldn't actually go to the games anyway. But I feel like if I was living in London, I'd love that to just be able to go like, cool, you got the full day activities planned. Yeah, same here. I mean, that would be convenient the first time that I actually do make it over there to see some games. Yeah. So you haven't been to any games before? No. Yeah, I've never been to England, period. So it's definitely on my, you know, want to do soon list. But Hopefully sometime in next season, I would love to go over. Yeah. Um, I guess, what is it from San Antonio? It's probably 10 hours-ish, 12 hours? Oh, God, I, I have no idea. I would have to, I'm sure, fly out of New York. So go there first and then fly over. Yeah. I'm sort of envious of people that we hear about who are in, say, around New York and, and they're saying like, oh, it's a six-hour flight. Yeah, it's fine. It's nothing. You can just go over to England and catch a game and come back the next day. It's all good. Because for us in Australia, it's like, 14, 20 hours, something around about that, I think to, no, it's, it's more than that. It's like 14 hours for like half the leg. So it becomes like a real expedition to head over. Um, so I haven't been into any games since 2009. I think I went to a couple, but it would be nice, but maybe we've, it's been a good season for us not to go. <laughs> and then hopefully, hopefully next season, it might be a bit more, a bit more enticing. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot, you know, kind of depends on what happens this summer, but I'm I'm hopeful that it's going to be a better season next year. <laughs> yeah. So you did mention earlier that you, you things are looking up a little bit from the last couple of games. What have you seen which you've been more impressed with, given as well that both games we have still started by conceding? Yeah. I mean, the way I've been describing it is that I feel like the defense is what it is and realistically isn't going to improve until you know, the next transfer window, we can get some fresh players in. Um, Cause I think we know there are definitely some like gaps in, in quality in our back line compared to the rest of the squad. But I think since Ryan Mason has come back, you know, we're in part two of the Ryan Mason era. Um, he's just kind of brought some of that belief back to the club and not just the players, obviously, but I think the fans as well. So just seeing the team actually playing on the front foot 
is is just refreshing because I feel like we suffered for so many years under Mourinho, you know, Nuno, Conte, just wondering like what's going on here. Like they're not playing to the player's strengths and it was frustrating. So now it's it's kind of like a breath of fresh air and you know, I don't I don't think Ryan Mason is perfect necessarily. I mean, we could talk about the Lucas Mora of it all, but he's at least I think trying something new trying to reinvigorate the tactics and I, I think it's kind of reflected in the performances we've seen yeah I agree with that like I'm so I am actually feeling a lot more positive than I might sound <laughs> talking about it because yeah it's been so long since we've seen I guess look to be fair to to, to Conte at the end of last season we we did see some pretty pretty decent results and some pretty good performances we were regularly scoring like you know three four five and it seemed like we were heading in a good direction. So there was a little bit of a spell there where it, it seemed like things were clicking. But before that, and especially in, yeah, like the, the Jose era, the Nuno era, although I, I don't know if we can call Nuno's an era. It was whatever the historical term is for a very short time. A blip. A blip, the Nuno blip. Yeah, it had been a while since we'd seen anything sort of enjoyable. But then the massive regression this season, like it, it definitely just felt like a chore watching games. So... Uh, in some ways, at least we've had some excitement come, come back. And yeah, I just wonder if like the team now they've had like the fear of God drilled into them for, for how they've been set up to play. So now if we are trying to play a little bit more expressively and a little bit more on the front foot, we don't really know how to do that at the moment, or there's still this, like, you know, the ghost of Conte and Stellini are still hanging in the background and that's not to blame them fully for this, but I kind of feel like it's, it's really going to take like, you know the transfer window and a new manager with like a, a couple of months um, to really sort of like, you know, reshape this team into a, into a better unit. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they need deprogramming from the, you know, more conservative style that they were playing and like, just to, to let the shackles off basically. Oh, definitely. I found it interesting that um, Klopp was mentioning after the game, uh, just going his normal lines about counterattacking Spurs and everything. And, it's like it, last time he said that I didn't agree with him. And in, in this game, I don't even know how possibly he, he had that take. So whether or not it was, it's just, you know, his um, PR mastery and deflecting and, and saying something outrageous, or if he actually believes that, then I have like concerns for him. Yeah. I was just thinking earlier that I don't know how I ever saw Klopp as like very charming and dignified because he's just done like a complete 180 since then. And yeah, the, the counterattacking brand that we always get put on us kind of frustrates me because I feel like when we play our best football, even under those past managers, it, it usually wasn't counterattacking style. So part of me thinks that's just Klopp kind of wanting to take the heat off of his players and their performance, which I get, but it's not realistic. <laughs> and I feel like it's just an easy, like stereotypical thing to say about Spurs over the last few years. And you know, obviously we, there have been periods where we have, especially under Mourinho, but more sort of counterattacking. But, um, I remember even the city game from last season where we came back and beat them. And I think Pep afterwards was going on, oh, counterattacking. And you look at our goals and it's like, we're building from deep each time and it's doing that. So yeah, I, I didn't get the feeling in this game that we were sitting back. Like after we went three nil down, um, it did seem like something changed and, and clicked and, I honestly thought that we were the far better team for the rest of the game. No, definitely. And I think whatever Ryan Mason is saying in his halftime talks is clearly having a good effect. 
Um, also, his substitutions, I think, have largely been really positive, except for the Lucas one. <laughs> but the, the problem is just like, how do we get to that that level of play from the very first whistle? You know, just cutting out these sort of really turgid mistake prone first 20 minutes like we can't afford to keep doing that obviously so that's something for him to work on yeah maybe it's a nice challenge that the squad is just setting themselves that they're just like all right let for the rest of the season let's just go down a few goals and let's just use this as like a learning experience and say can we come back see what we can do because it's a bit of a trend now yeah i feel like as fans we've kind of resigned ourselves to you know not having a very good outcome table wise this season so maybe the players are at that point, too, where they're like, OK, what can I do to motivate me? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how many goals we can come back from. <laughs> yeah. How can we make this fun? What would be a fun thing we could do? Maybe that's what Mason's vibe is. Like he's bringing good vibes in, but he's just like the cool guy who's got a real alternate approach. And that's what it is. And this is all him just trying to mastermind some resilience in the squad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I like Mason as uh, overall, but. I still feel there'd be some concerns about him sort of being a long-term manager at this stage. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's mostly just the age thing and the fact that he hasn't had experience as a, a head coach, except for obviously these interim stints that he's done with Tottenham. Otherwise he's just been academy, you know, head of the academy and you, you do want him to get that kind of experience and, I almost feel like if he had been appointed right away when Conte was sacked and had a little bit larger of a sample size, you know, to show the club like what he can do and what he could change in the squad with a little bit more time, you know, in charge. Uh, maybe maybe it could be different. He could be a realistic candidate. But I just knowing the way that our club operates, I can't see Daniel Levy wanting to take that kind of risk. Um, I feel like he's going to want to go with someone who's more proven. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is, to me, probably the most important appointment that Daniel Levy has had to make. Because um, I kind of feel like Mourinho was just like a bit of a celebrity grab in a sense of like, wow, we can get Jose. I wanted Jose years ago. Ah, oh, finally, my dream comes true. And he can go on Amazon and, you know, that's that's going to be fun. Um, and then I think with Conte, it was maybe a similar thing of like, and oh, could we get Conte? I'm going to, yeah, great. We can get him without really actually sitting back and thinking like, is this the approach that matches what we want to do as a club overall? Um, so I feel like, yeah, Mason, he kind of like would tick that project manager slot, but, um, well, speaking of slot, uh, one, one of the managers who's, who's throwing in the mix, I feel like I would like Mason to go and have, uh, even if he didn't have a super successful spell at another team, but just be sort of in that sort of, you know, head coach manager position where he's, he's doing that for, I don't know, like a season or so. Um, not necessarily even to prove himself, but just to get more experience of being in the hot seat constantly. Whereas he's always kind of just been in this interim position where he's, it's kind of a bit low risk for him because he's sort of just trying to steady the ship a bit. Right. Yeah. Like the expectations I think are a little bit lower on him, especially this time because we don't have that league cup final, you know, the next week, like he did last time where that was like a very high pressure situation. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, from a, from the fan perspective, definitely the rest of the season is just kind of seen as a write off. So I don't think they're necessarily expecting him to pull off a miracle. But yeah, I agree. It would be good to have him go out to another club, 
so that we could see kind of how he builds a squad. Um, Cause so far he's been in this situation where he's working with a lot of players that he either played with himself or has known, you know, from being at the club for so long, kind of behind the scenes. So how would he do with actually getting, you know, a little bit of control over transfer negotiations and um, what kind of style could he prefer once he actually gets to be making those decisions? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a good point. He's just been cleaning up for other people. Yeah. So it's kind of like there's been a big messy hangover. Ryan Mason's been reliable. He's come around the next day. He's brought us some food. He's hanging out. We're watching a movie. But we want to know, like, what would Ryan plan on a day out if he didn't have the hangover from the night before? Like, what would what would what would he do? And I think that's what we're we're not able to see in these really short stints. I'm not opposed to company as as someone because I guess companies at least had like a couple of teams where he's been able to show how he wants to play his style and like he's you know he's done well with them. So that's why I feel like someone like that I think is just so far ahead of Mason in the pecking order. It's going to be kind of unfortunate because Ryan's has thrown his hat in the ring, which I also like. I like the confidence to do that. But I think after this interim move, I think he'll actually leave Spurs, not in a bad way, but just to go and try and find a head position somewhere else, whether that's Championship, League One, maybe League Two is a bit too far down, but um, something around there. I feel like he'll leave after this because I don't think he can keep staying and just waiting in the wings. I think he's he's, he's going to go and then come back. Yeah, and it might not be necessarily up to him depending on who comes in as manager, you know, they might not have any interest in keeping him on as an assistant like Conte did. So, you know, could kind of force the the issue. Yeah. But I, you know, I think it's a good point about company. He went to a club like Burnley that, you know, we kind of associate with really bad football and has kind of managed to transform them. And that probably would be a good mark in his favor for coming to Spurs because we're also in a situation where we really need kind of an overhaul of playing style. So, yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that before, but with you saying that, I can see it. Yeah, well, who is your preference out of any of the available managers on the market or ones that we think might possibly be available? Um, who are you leaning towards? Well, my first choice is kind of a selfish one because I would like to see Julian Nagelsmann come to Spurs, partially because I'm still heartbroken that he was sacked by Bayern so unnecessarily. <laughs> um, if anyone doesn't know, that's the Bundesliga club that I support. So, I'm, you know, that whole situation was just, it was even more of a circus than Spurs are this season, to be honest. Just in summary, basically what happened from my understanding is Mm-hmm. things are going well on the pitch, but there were just clashes with the board. Is that basically the gist of it? Yeah. So essentially he had some friction with the board, which for people who don't know, Bayern is a club where most of their kind of, you know, upper management is made up of former players. So there's a lot of politics involved because, you know, everyone is like, they're very invested in the club, which is good, but they also have very strong opinions. And because of their, you know, past with the club as players, they kind of feel like they can't be wrong. Um, so we've, we've had several managers kind of forced out through this situation, most notably Hansi Flick as well, mm-hmm. um, who is, I, I would say, one of the best managers who's ever been at Bayern. So, uh, but part of it was also that they, ironically, had heard that Spurs were interested in bringing Thomas Tuchel in and he was a target they'd had for a long time. And 
I, if you believe, you know, the reporting, Tuchel basically gave them an ultimatum and was like, if you want me, God, bring me in now. So they just unceremoniously sacked Nogglesman and brought Tuchel in. And it has not gone well. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't followed Bayern since then because they were still on the hunt for basically everything. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. They were, you know, on track to win the treble. They had just, you know, dealt with PSG over two legs, keeping them scoreless uh, in the Champions League. And they were still in the, the German Domestic Cup and also leading in the title race. Or actually, I think they were one point behind Dortmund when Nagelsmann got sacked. I should correct myself. But, you know, it was it was still all to play for. And since then, they've been knocked out of Champions League, the Pokal, and finally got back into the lead this weekend. But, I mean, the, there's four games left, and it really could be anyone's game between Bayern and Dortmund. So, yeah, stressful times. <laughs> Do you feel, how are the Bayern board, if they're so, like, sort of steadfast in their opinions, how would they go if they finish the season with nothing? That is going to be the million-dollar question, is do they backtrack and, and sack Tuchel immediately, you know, because they, they basically said when they brought him on that they they brought him on because the trouble was, quote unquote, at risk. And he has, you know, all but messed up the chance of even winning any title at all. So it's it's a thorny one. But I also think it's it just looks bad on them the way that they let Nogglesman go. And there there's a lot of pressure from, you know, Bayern members, the fans to get Oliver Kahn out as CEO, you know, to mm. get a new chairman in. And yeah, it's it's a lot. So Bayern fans are going with hashtag Kahn out. Basically, yes. <laughs> I'd love it if Bayern at the end of this, because like, you know, Nagelsmann's still being on gardening leave and, and under contract with them, that they turn around like, oh, Julian, uh, we said some things earlier. Let's, uh, you know, just stay. Why don't you just stay? Stick around, come back. We'll get rid of Thomas. We, well, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. It was just a silly decision. Um, you're still under contract here, so let's just keep this thing going. I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen because I feel like without knowing a huge amount about Nagelsmann, like I like his profile overall, but I, I, I guess I mean like I haven't watched his teams play extensively. I feel like he would be a pretty big coup for Spurs because it's not like, yeah, he's not like he's gone out from, you know, a top club like Bayern and it's, he hasn't tanked them. He hasn't played, hmm. played badly and, and, and all of that. It was just politics wise for that decision. So I feel like he would be the kind of manager that would go some way to reuniting the fan base again. And my understanding too, is that he is someone who does like working with the director of football as well. So mm -hmm. that kind of like fits that model of basically people just not wanting Levy to have anything to do with, with the footballing <laughs> side. So uh, I feel like, yeah, like you obviously have watched his, his teams play a lot more, but I feel like I, I like the idea of him if that, if he is actually a realistic target for us. Yeah. And I, I think the way I kind of see it is that he's a bit of like a compromise between the extreme sort of project manager, complete unknown that you're kind of gambling on and, you know, the mega superstar manager, which we tried in the past and didn't work out. I don't think he's quite at that level, even though he's been at Bayern because he was only there for, you know, a little over a season and didn't really get to completely make his mark. So he's still, in a sense, untested, I would say. But his track record, you know, from the clubs he's been at in the past shows that he he's a very progressive, modern manager. He's tactically flexible. 
you know, prefers to play very attacking forward football. So I I just don't see a downside with Nagelsmann. It's just a matter of can the board get him, basically. Yeah. Can they get the money right? Can they negotiate with Bayern? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is not easy at the moment. So Yeah. And the thing that I'm really confused about with this is that they're saying that you've got to pay a release a release fee to Bayern. And then there's also his contract with Bayern and, and all these sort of things, which are complicating everything. But wouldn't Bayern want to get him off the books? Like, isn't that something that they would just be like, we've got another head coach we're paying for. And we're probably paying quite a lot of money to Tuchel. Do we just not want to get Nagelsmann? Like, like, should we stop paying for him? Or do Bayern just have so much money that they don't care? And they're just like, no, we will just stop him from going anywhere else until we, we get a big payout. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit confused because I would have thought that you would just want to get him, get him gone if you if you've moved on and hired a new manager. Right, and you know, contrary to popular belief, Bayern don't have like Premier League money. Obviously, they're a lot better off than a lot of the Bundesliga clubs, but they they really can't afford to be just sort of throwing around money um, with the manager situation. Because um, famously, they they paid Leipzig a transfer fee to get Nagelsmann in in the first place, which, you know, doesn't often happen when it comes to managers. So um, I I really would love to know what the, the rationale is behind, like, keeping him on leave and, you know, being kind of tied up in this way. But there's got to be some sort of contractual thing that's made it tricky. I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if they're sort of holding out even just to go, all right, look, let's keep him, you know, if anyone wants him before the end of the season, let's 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 negotiate hard but i think there's got to be a point where you start getting too far along the line and they're like hey we're just giving him millions for like nothing right now so we we should probably drop that and sort of try and move on and i wonder if daniel levy has his sights set on nagelsman um we know if 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 levy is good at something it is negotiating so that is true um that could also be a reason for a delay um in making any movement there. But I think anyway, like uh, what manager would want to come in at this point in the season? Like you would just go, yeah, look, I'm interested. I'll start, you know, 1st of June. In the summer. Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't, I can't see him or any other potential manager wanting to come in before the end of the season. It just, it wouldn't make sense for, for them career wise, you know? Yeah, oh, definitely. How do you feel about uh, Pochettino allegedly? He hasn't officially gone to Chelsea yet, has he? I don't think so. Not officially. <laughs> We're checking every minute. We're like, has it happened? Has it happened? <laughs> how, how do you feel about that? Oh, gosh. This is like even worse than, you know, a transfer saga waiting for a player to make a decision because this is somebody who we all feel such a strong emotional attachment to. And I feel like I kind of have the perspective that having not been a fan as long as some people, I, you know, I came in kind of at the tail end of his tenure. I, I don't quite have the sense of like betrayal that I think some fans are having maybe if it was Arsenal I I would definitely be pissed but I think I kind of see it as if you know he's kind of been hinting around heavily that he wanted to come back to Spurs and if we didn't approach him then that's kind of on us and he's got to do what he's got to do to get back into football because you know he's been out of work for a while and I don't understand this move for him because I think that Chelsea are a disaster right now, especially with Todd Bowley just, you know, making it rain with money. <laughs> um, I I just think he's getting into a really sticky situation there that he could come to regret. But at the same time, they do have talented players. So 
you would hope that that he would be able to get a better tune out of them than than you know Frank Lampard. <laughs> oh well, I mean, who's just getting absolutely no tune? It's a low bar. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely tanked yeah. them more than anything. Firstly, on Todd Bowley, like from an American perspective, what is the sort of take on him? Like, I know a little bit about sort of American sports, but once you start getting into the owners of teams, I'm, I'm sort of lost. I think, you know, seeing him come into Chelsea, it's like, you know, we've been very critical of a lot of his sort of behavior and things he's done and said and um, this, you know, stupid spending, like just so irresponsible to the sport as a whole. Um, but I'm just curious from like an American perspective, like what's the feeling on on him and his ownership of Chelsea? Well, the thing is that I don't actually, besides basketball, I, I'm not really into American sports as much. Like mm-hmm. I, if I'm thinking correctly, I think Bully also owns maybe a baseball team and or football, but I'm honestly not sure. But the point is, I, he's in a totally different environment with a Premier League team than he is with his American teams. Because in our sports leagues, we have things like salary caps and drafts and all these kind of constraints that sort of rein him in. And now, you know, being with Chelsea, he's just kind of been let loose to buy all the shiny toys that he wants and <laughs> there's no one to tell him no. So, yeah, um, I, I don't I don't think he's viewed favorably amongst American Premier League fans. Let's put it that way. Okay, cool. I was just curious if it was like, no, Todd Bowley's viewed over here as like this genius, you know, investor and this, that and everything else, or if the view is pretty similar to what the rest of us seem to be thinking about him. Oh yeah. We all think he's out of control. (laughs) Okay, great. But yeah, I think like touching on something else that you said, personally for Poch, I don't like this move for him. (laughs) Like I, I don't see it being a, a hugely fruitful one. And I'm aware as well that that could be my internal bias, not wanting Chelsea to win something with Poch in charge, but right, I don't know. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem a fit. Like it seems like Poch is, I was scaring my head for like a Star Wars reference to like with, if Ted Bowl, Todd Bowley's like, you know, Emperor Palpatine and you know, Chelsea are the evil empire. And I'm like, Poch isn't Luke Skywalker though. So, or Poch isn't Princess Leia or anything like that. So Poch is, Poch is whoever, Poch is a a, a nice Ewok and is just going over to the dark side. And I just don't like it. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me either because I think he, he had something very special at Tottenham because he developed this like true affinity for the club and the fans were like bought in as well. And I think he's going to have a very different experience at Chelsea, kind of like he had at PSG where it's much more, this is like a harsh word to use, but kind of mercenary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they don't they're not gonna feel bad about letting him go if it eventually comes to that. Like they'll they'll do it ruthlessly, kind of like PSG did. You know, you you don't get a lot of a lot of leash at a club like that. I suppose he's not gonna get a lot of time to to make any mistakes. You know, it's it's gonna be a really really strict standard. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, when Poch came into Spurs, he was pretty ruthless with a bunch of players that he just completely kicked out of the squad. And, you know, I think players like Bentaleb was one. And, you know, there were a few others um, where he's just like, nah, done. Bye. See ya. And Chelsea's situation is if you've got a player who's on an eight-year contract, <laughs> like what's what's where you can't, like it's going to be hard to shift. So like, because also if they're trying to sell one of these players who's on this eight-year deal, um, their agent is thinking about it like, well, hang on, if we're going to another club and they're only going to offer us three years or maybe max five years, 
we're missing out on like a guaranteed three extra years of like 50 million pounds total payment. So there's going to have to be a lot of payouts if they end up having to like shift some of these players as well. So I really just feel like at the end of the day, it's going to be far easier for Chelsea to just go, well, this isn't working again. Bye, Poch. <laughs> and just sack him. Yeah, that's the easier option for them is to let him go than to deal with the mess that they've made with the player contract yeah. situation. It's like Todd Bowley, he's, he's sitting there and he's just like, oh, I've gamed the system. Don't worry, everyone. It's Look at this, the deals, 15-year deals. It's And his assistants are like, well, hang on, Todd, we really should just think about this. Like, you sure you found a little hack, but... <laughs> You know, this is a very high risk at the end of the day. Yes, he's about to experience the consequences of his actions. Um, I, I think they're going to be in this situation where they kind of have like a loan army, basically, with, with so many players that they just have no choice but to loan out because they they don't have room for them in their really bloated squad. And it's like with Poch as well, like if you don't buy into his method, you have to buy in to his methods. And, you know, an issue at PSG. Not everyone <laughs> buys in. You know, when you play have these players with gigantic egos, like, who have already won a lot more than the manager has. Mm -hmm. um, suddenly a manager's like, look, um, look, I want you to run. Messi, Mbappe, Neymar, I want you to run more. I want you to press. I want you to do this. They turn around. They're like, oh, hang up. Hey, oi, we've, we've won all these things before. We've won World Cups. We've won leagues. We've won Champions Leagues. Let's just settle down. Maybe, maybe the way we're doing it previously is not too bad. Whereas I think when Poch was at Spurs, he came in and our players hadn't won anything apart from maybe some like you know, other domestic titles in their sort of um, native leagues. But mm -hmm. apart from that, we hadn't really won anything. So I feel like there was just this moment where everyone kind of came together um, and pushed for that. And I really just don't see that happening with Chelsea. No, they're they're not going to have that kind of patience. And because they have such deep pockets, they don't really have to have that kind of patience. You know, they feel like they can just buy their way out of a bad situation. I just realized, are we a Chelsea podcast now? This is, uh, I guess we're talking negatively about Chelsea, which is fun to do until we get some more clarity based on, on what we're doing. Hey, we, sh we should enjoy the fact that they're having such a bad season. Like this isn't going to happen very often. So let's enjoy it while it's lasting. Oh, totally. All right. Well, if we're going to do that, let's talk about Arsenal, um, who are also, <laughs> also just fading away. The thing I find really interesting here is that when we were going head to head with Leicester in 2015, 16, I think, 2014, 15, no, 15, 16, mm -hmm. um, we were never, ever top, not once throughout the whole season. I don't think we were top. Um, but then it was like Spurs bottled the league, Spurs bottled it all. But then now it's like, I really want Arsenal to be, you know, under a lot more scrutiny because now they're second. City still have a game game in hand and a point over them. So you would have to say the form that City are in at the moment too, that the league is gone for Arsenal. Yeah, and I've noticed that the pundits are already bending over backwards not to accuse Arsenal of bottling it. You know, they're doing everything they can to be like, well, that was never the expectation this season for them to win the title. Like, they're still on track with their goals. They just wanted to get Champions League. And it's like, oh, how quickly the goalposts are shifting here. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not fair. <laughs> I like that though. They you know, let's say they end up finishing well, they they're gonna finish second. Like Newcastle ten points behind, it's not gonna catch up. Yeah. Yeah, like if they finish second and then it's like, well, you know, we we only wanted second. Seconds, that's what we were going for. So like you can't say that they're like being in the lead. They had what, I think like an eight point lead at some stage. And 
started celebrating like St. Tottering, Totteringham's Day and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, their demise has been at least, I guess, a bit of a silver lining to our season. Not to focus too much on them, but it would have been a lot more um, depressing if they went on and like clearly blitzed the league. Right. I, I do still live in fear, though, that the financial fair play situation that City are in is going to come back to haunt them and you know, if they get stripped of the title somehow, like I, I'm just paranoid about it. <laughs> yeah. See, at, at least if I do hope that happens as well, but if it happens after the season, at least like Arsenal don't really get to celebrate it as much. They miss, they like, they take that That's moment true. away from Arsenal, which I don't mind. Yeah. I guess they would always have kind of that asterisk, you know, next to their title too. So yeah. Silver lining. <laughs> and on the city point, like, has there been any update since that came out? Like, I'm aware that legal proceedings take so long to sort out, but it just seemed to come sort of out of nowhere. It's like, all right, finally, 100 charges against them. And then we're a couple of months later and there's zero update on any of it. And we're like, everyone, like pundits and broadcasters, it's back to like lauding city for how wonderful they are. And it's just like, hang on, have we just completely forgotten about these gigantic charges at the Premier League. The Premier League, uh, the, the the league is bringing against the team that's winning it now. Yeah. I mean, it was significant that it was the league this time and not UEFA because apparently the standards are much stricter and uh, there's a lot more potential for them to actually suffer some legitimate consequences. Um, so of course we aren't going to hear about it for years and years, probably. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, by which time they'll have won, you know, three more titles and it gotten all the best players. So it's it's just kind of the way modern football works that it can be really frustrating to to be reminded of that. Um, I think you read things, too. And uh, I remember when those things came out, there was some something along the lines of like if City can't appeal the charges that like whatever the Premier League decides at the end of the day, that's that's final, like. They can't take it to the court of arbitration mm -hmm. of sport or anything like that, which I don't, I don't understand the legal system enough to know why they couldn't just appeal till the end of time and basically burn as much money as they want in the appeal process until the Premier League just gives up. Yeah. It'd be nice to see something happen here. Yeah. And, and can I also just say, I really kind of resent being forced to root for City in a way this season, just because of the arsenal factor. It's, it's rough. <laughs> Oh, it is. It is bad. It is. It is bad. I almost feel just numb towards City now. Like I still despise them, but I feel numb to them winning another title because it's like, I mean, what they've already got six, five, five or six or however many. So like, ugh, what's another one for their, you know, regime until they hopefully get punished and they get stripped of all of them. I mean, that would be great, but we can dream. We can dream. We can dream. Carla, I wanted to chat a little bit more about your newsletter. And, and sort of just, just a little bit more into, uh, how did that come about and yeah, how's that all going? Oh, it's, it's going well. I've, I've been through a couple of platform changes for various reasons, but it's at a new home now. Um, I got started doing it really just because I had too many feelings about Tottenham Hotspur and they had to go somewhere. <laughs> um, and, and I've always loved writing. Like that's how it's been since I was a young kid. So the podcasting came much later and I'm still kind of, I feel like learning that every day, but, but I love doing the newsletter cause it's, it's really my opportunity to kind of focus on like some of the, the individual stories. Like I'm not a very stats heavy person. That's not really my focus. Cause I feel like there's a lot of, you know, blogs and newsletters out there that do that really well. 
So I, I want my niche to be kind of being a little more accessible to the average fan, not getting so bogged down like in the numbers and um, just kind of focusing on, focusing on the trends in the team, you know, in the performances over the season. Um, and yeah, I'm also really passionate about giving equal focus to the men's team and the women's team. Cause I feel like there's just, especially for the women's team, there really is not enough coverage out there. And especially when you have like new fans who are just getting into the team, I hope that I can be a good resource for them to kind of learn the players and understand like what Spurs women's story is as well. Yeah. I think you're right. Like the, the coverage it's, it's, it's still very lopsided. Like I guess on the official Spurs Twitter account, which has what, like 8 million followers, 10 million followers or something like that. Like you're, you're getting some posts sort of like in the mix, but it still is, I don't know, kind of, it feels a little bit tucked away sometimes from, from that. Whereas I, I wonder if the sort of the, you know, the club was putting more, more effort into content as well. Admittedly, I haven't logged into like Spurs play for a little while. I think I've just been like, ah, we watch a game and there's not, I don't want any more Spurs right now. I need to go and just get away from it. But I hope there are there is some content on the women's team on there and they are actually making more features behind the scenes, documentaries and things like that. Yeah, they are starting to. And actually, there was a good documentary that they did a few months ago that kind of went through the history of the team, you know, starting with before it was formally tied to Tottenham Hotspur. And something that's really cool about the women's team, actually, is that they're the only club who has gained promotion to the WSL by working their way up the entire pyramid. So you have a lot of other clubs who have kind of like bought their way into the league, like Manchester United, for example. So that's a point of pride, I think, you know, that the women's team has kind of gone about it, you know, the right way. But yeah, I agree. I feel like the club definitely could do more in terms of promoting the women's team. My co-host on and 17 Women, Rachel, just wrote a really great blog post about kind of this trend of marketing women's football is like inspirational to young girls and how that kind of it, it distracts from the fact that like these are professional athletes playing high level football and the fact mm. that the marketing is not focused enough on that you know what i mean so definitely check that out <laughs> as in like the, the marketing is not focused enough on the fact that they are professional athletes it's more that they are inspirational women but it's not giving enough credit to yeah what they're actually doing on the pitch right and even just kind of acknowledging like where the team as is at in the table like what are the storylines behind the season um like for example we just had a women's team game at the main stadium and it was a really important game because we have unfortunately been dragged into the relegation fight in this last part of the season and you know, from from looking at the way the game was promoted, you would you would have no idea that this was like a crucial game where they really needed the home support, you know, to get it over the line. Um, so it just kind of like missed opportunities all around. Um, has there been any like has there been any signs of sort of investing more in the women's? I feel like I've seen bits and pieces pop up that suggest that there have been, but still obviously quite a way behind um, where it could be. Yeah, it's kind of. It's a bit of a mixed bag because famously when Alex Morgan uh, joined the team on loan for a very brief period, um, too brief for my American liking, <laughs> she was kind of instrumental in getting the club to take the women's team more seriously in terms of like the resources that were provided. So she got them training at the, you know, the really 
beautiful high-tech training ground that the men's team trains at Um, because previously they were just kind of practicing at the the old stadium the hive so that was a big upgrade they've kind of increased you know the backroom staff like the, the coaches the nutrition on my in 17 women podcast we've had a few player interviews where they've talked about this a little bit like how much of a difference it makes to have that support because a lot of them have previously been at clubs where you know there was nothing like mm. you you didn't get team meals you didn't have um always even a physio available at some levels so a lot of that has changed i think where there's still a lot of opportunity is to invest more in the actual playing squad so we've, we've made some progress towards that in the sense that we brought in beth england was supposedly a record transfer fee for a transfer between two WSL clubs. And she has like undoubtedly been a huge asset in the second half of the season. She came in in January and like, if we (laughs) manage to not get relegated, which I don't think we will, but I think it'll largely be down to her, her impact and her goal scoring. Um, So that was huge. But I feel like at the same time, in, in the past summer transfer window, we had this big opportunity to really move up a level after having kind of overperformed last season. And they, they kind of chose to just invest in kind of up and coming players, you know, not not necessarily the, like those players that are at their peak and were ready to like help us take that next step. So we've kind of fallen back down the pecking order. So it's frustrating from that aspect. I think on the point you made about... Um... Alex Morgan and, and making those changes. I, I remember hearing that and just being kind of shocked that I thought, I just assumed that they, the women's team were already training at the new, um, the new, well, it's, I guess it's not even new anymore, but at the, the high tech training ground. <laughs> so, cause like, like I think you touched on as well. It's like so many other facilities, which are at that training ground, you will benefit on from being there. Like, you know, like the gym, the, the physios, all the staff, the, the, the the food available, the canteen, all those sorts of things. Whereas it's there's that's definitely not going to be the case anywhere else. So yeah, just to hear when that came out, it was pretty shocking that it's just like, ah, oh, men's team, you've got this uh beautiful beautiful place to come and train every day. Uh, women's team, there's a shed uh, a few miles up the road. Uh, there's some balls in there. Just kick them around a field. Uh, we don't care. So I think yeah, that was uh, I'm glad that that change was made. Like I guess it's it's always sort of easy to look back and go like you know this has been this was so bad so bad and not, um, you know, and ignore progress that has been made. So I think it's like good. We can acknowledge that the progress has been made without applauding it over the top because it's like this already should have been done beforehand. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I I don't know if you've seen in the past week, Daniel Levy has made kind of some comments about women's football in general that were really quite negative and kind of made me feel demoralized as a fan of the women's team because I'm like, this is the guy who you know technically is in charge (laughs) like yeah it doesn't it doesn't bode well but from what i've heard about this scott munn guy who's coming in he actually um has a lot of experience with women's football and is supposedly going to be involved with our women's team as well so hopefully daniel as he wants us to call him now is like giving up some of that control to someone who like really cares and will be, you know, prioritizing them the way they should be. I feel like from some of his sign off now where it's like Coy's Daniel, I'm like, I feel like it's a teenage boy with like their Twitter handle of like Coy's Daniel. That's what you call me now. 
And it's like, do, do we have to say koi's as well? It's like, yes, yes, you must also say that. It's it's kind of the sign off that we all use on like our podcasts and blogs and newsletters. And it's like, but you're, I mean, you're the man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little awkward coming from you. I feel like he's put his um his message into like chat GPT and he's gone like, here's my message. Uh, make me sound like a fan in this and uh, give me a better connection to the supporters. And it's left the message completely the same and it's just put Koi's before his name. And he's like, all right, done. Send. <laughs> Publish. I mean, he tried. I'll give him that. He tried. Yeah, <laughs> he tried. He tried. I still, I'm like in the, I'm in the leaving neutral sort of um, phase now. I hadn't heard about these comments about the women's team. So that's, well, that's, I was going to say, <laughs> that's not good. I, I was also very neutral until this past week. And now I'm kind of like, oh, leave out. <laughs> so. I don't want to, oh, now I don't even want to look up and see what they are. Cause I've, I'm, are they bad? Is it bad? You could remain blissfully ignorant. Um, and I feel like that would be okay. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. What's the gist of what he said? I, I will look it up properly and, <laughs> I'm going to it, but is is it is it sort of indicating that his the the women's game is not a focus for in what he thinks the club should be doing? Is that it? Yeah. So essentially, there were two things. There was the interview that he did with Cambridge Union, which I'm sure you heard about because of all the quotes coming out about the men's team. But you know, in between all of those, there was one question about women's football, and it was actually like a really good question. I don't know who it was that asked it, but he basically said what's your strategy to get Spurs women competing with the teams like Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester's? Um, he didn't answer the question. So that was annoying. Um, and at the same time, he basically was like, uh, there's very limited sponsorship interest for women's football. You know, ticket prices are low, you know, basically kind of just saying like, what can I do? There's, there's no, no, uh, no potential here. And I think that just really flies in the face of reality, which is that women's football is like growing every every year. Yeah. Um, and especially with like kind of the high profile international tournaments there have been recently and the World Cup coming up as well. It's like he needs to be getting in on this, you know, and being proactive. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't appear to be a priority. And then later in the week, um, there was an article that came out that said he would like to see the WSL become a closed league like the NWSL over here in America. So no promotion or relegation. And his reasoning was that he said this will incentivize clubs to invest more in their women's team. And I mean, I don't think I even need to get into how ridiculous that is. Oh, totally. I wonder if it was just like, uh, Daniel, uh, the women's team might be getting relegated because you've uh, kind of let, you know, you haven't haven't invested like you should have. And he's like, well, I've got a new idea. Uh, no relegation. Uh, let's bring that in before the end of the season. Everyone's happy. All right, move on. Yeah. So naturally, that's that's what everybody has assumed, you know, especially rival fans who are delighting at Daniel Levy making a, a, an embarrassment of the women's club. So good job, Daniel. Uh, I feel it's just such a missed opportunity because also where to me that doesn't line up with even, so even if you, if you take the neutral stance on leaving, you go like, okay, cool. Having him on the business side. Great. We want him to do that. We want him to have nothing to do with football. If you look at that and he goes, there's not a lot of marketing opportunities in terms of brand deals. It's like, well, what if you were like, hang on, let's really sort of like push how we promote the, the women's team and like, not necessarily from a sponsorship angle first, invest in it more initially, and then go like, let's just try and attract a whole bunch of fans 
to that. And then maybe later on the commercial, well, sorry, if you do that, definitely later on the commercial opportunities will then follow. So even kind of by, if you're going to take like, you know, the cynical logic of like, well, it doesn't make money right now. It's like, well, if this was, if, if there was someone who was like, we're going to have like the, the best women's team. And I don't mean that by doing like a city route of like just blowing everyone out of the water with squad investment, mm -hmm. but in terms of everything else, like they're playing at the stadium, we're giving them so much more coverage. We're actually blowing this up. Um, you know, make more of a point of like, cool. There's like a full, you know, the new, tr the training ground has a new wing, which is purely just for the women's team and all that sort of stuff. Like, I feel like these would be opportunities that could pay massive dividends in the long run, which would then answer his like financial questions about it all. And it just seems like it's a real missed opportunity when there's a lot of low morale at the club. Uh, yeah. And it's like, well, let's just keep making poor decisions at the moment. Right. It's like he's, he's currently, I feel like in most areas, kind of putting in the bare minimum and for him to just be like, nothing can be done it's like well you haven't tried yeah. um it's kind of like that <laughs> meme my work here is done but you didn't do anything yeah yeah so and 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 for someone like him who is obviously renowned and respected i would say for the way he's built up the commercial side of the men's club the men's team i should say it's it, for him to just have like no imagination of how he can make that work with the women's team is is just really kind of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, nothing can be done. Okay, so you're just going to not do anything then. Yep, okay, all right. I guess that's where we are. <laughs> and definitely not what you want to hear as a fan when we're like, you know, in this relegation battle that we shouldn't have been in in the first place. Yeah, and yeah, and all you hear is, well, maybe we shouldn't have relegation. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Great, that's really, really good to hear. So overall, Caroline, how are you feeling for the rest of the season? So uh, we've got five games left. For the for the men's team, how many are left for the for the women's team? I think it's three now. I'm pretty sure it's three. But for the men's team, I mean, like I said earlier, I have kind of accepted that obviously Champions League is off the table. I guess there's kind of the debate of like, do we even want to qualify for Europa League or the Conference League? I mean, I don't want the Conference League. I can say that straight out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the situation was like in Australia, but trying to stream those games was torturous um, the quality <laughs> yeah no we get like we get the scrappy like um like not the like here we've got like you know netflix apple disney binge paramount stan and i think it's like one of the like stan or something they'll be like well we've got conference league now <laughs> and it's like what well why why is this an extra 20 dollars on this random streamer that's got no sport up until this stage anyway so i feel like in australia there are people who are scrapping for sport, like channel 10, like one of the free to air channels they bought, I think like the league cup and that's all that they have. Um, but then that's on their online streaming thing. So I feel like we, we do get, um, streaming services here who do kind of scrap around to get whatever football leagues they can. Yeah. It's very much like a mosaic of streamers here as well. Um, you have to have like multiple services to watch all of Tottenham's games, which is frustrating, but it is what it is. But yeah, I, I mean, again, with the conference league, like we're not going to take it seriously. I know that for a fact. So we don't need to be involved. Um, I think Europa League could honestly be a more positive thing. Obviously, you, you still get that little amount of financial boost from qualifying for that competition, which would help with transfers. But it, it's also a competition that I think could be winnable. 
And I mean, definitely in the last few seasons when we've not taken those kind of lower European competitions seriously, it's it's been frustrating because it's like we all know how much we want a trophy. And, you know, it was it was possible and we just didn't go for it um, for various reasons. Yeah. But I think that's kind of where I'm at is like I want us to qualify for Europa League. Um, and that would be a, a positive outcome considering everything that's come before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would be happy with qualifying for Europa. Um, I was thinking if we do end up in conference, I just had a thought of like, wouldn't it be interesting if we were just like, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to like blitz conference late. We're going to like play our strongest team <laughs> possible. We're going to like win. We don't care if we're going to get ridiculed by like, we finally have a trophy at the end of this. And can you imagine, like, if we won Conference League, rival fans would just have an absolute field day with with that. But I think it would be kind of cool to be like, hey, you know what? You've got like, you know, teams like Sevilla who are like the uh, who are like the Europa League specialists, and you've got, you know, I guess, you know, all all the top teams are going to the Champions League, and it's like, what? There's an opening there. We what if every season we just became Conference League specialists, just dominated that, and then silverware every year. There we go. Everyone's like, you know, all the fans who say we want a trophy more than anything. Tick. You get one every year. Great. And then we can just have a bit more fun with it. Well, you know, I, I'm still kind of disappointed that we were in that competition. It's inaugural year and did not win it. I'm like, okay, it's, it's kind of tin pot as they say, but it would be cool to be the first winners. And we, we screwed that up. So yeah, uh, that was unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, I feel like we got to win a cup soon. And, and obviously, I wish we would take the domestic cups more seriously because I, I rarely been as mad about Tottenham as I was after that Sheffield United game this season. That was just oh, yeah. crushing. I, I guess that's where I feel like an, an overall, like going for a project manager, they might have that more in their sort of stepping stone plan. Right. Like they're not going to go, like I think Conte, the a big issue there to me was like, he's someone who wants to win a league within one or two seasons. Like that's, that's it. And it's just unrealistic to get there. Yeah. And, and he saw everything else as beneath him. Yeah, totally. Even the Champions League, bizarrely. And he questions the mentality. So you haven't won a knockout game in the Champions League for like 10 years. Whereas you get like, uh, not, I'm not praising Arteta here, but you know, they obviously have built on like winning an FA Cup or two, doing this and then went for it this year. Didn't work out. Thank you. Thankfully. But I think that if you did have a manager who was building up to something, they might look at that and go like, you know what? In the first, you know, the first year, I don't really care. We're just trying to get playing in my method and, and, and build and get some players in and all that. Second year, I'd love us to win the FA Cup. We must win that. Da, 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 da. Third, for, da, just have some sort of plan, um, which is over a few years, which kind of shows some succession, so shows some progress in a realistic and achievable manner without us having to go to the dark side and try and do a Chelsea, although Chelsea have shown this year that that doesn't even work. So, right. But I, I feel like if we do go down this um, project manager approach, we will have a much better chance, I think, of, of them actually taking some of these other competitions seriously. Yeah, I agree. And I think part of it is going to be that as a fan base, we have to kind of accept that we're in this like rebuild phase and not, not expect miracles in, in the first season of this new manager, whoever it is, you know, I feel like we've, we've got to have a little bit more patience as a fan base. And am I hopeful that will actually happen? No, based on <laughs> the last few months, but 
I, I will try to be patient. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Look, if we don't have hope at this stage, what do we have? Exactly. <laughs> and we need a lot of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for, for joining us today, Caroline. I really enjoyed that chat. And um, yeah, is there anything upcoming that you'd like to plug that you're up, um, on any of your various projects? Uh, I don't know about upcoming. I mean, obviously with the season coming to a close, I always do my like recap of the season. I have like superlatives, you know, little fun things. Um so look forward to that. And something we just did with N17 Women Pod, um, we interviewed Jenna Scalacci, who's like a legend of Spurs women. So people should definitely check that out, especially if they're, you know, newer to following the women's team. It was a really nice glimpse into like the history of the team, but also the future because she's really involved with the Academy. Um, so that was a brilliant interview to do. Yeah, great. Awesome. And where can people find you and find that? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter at CG Stefko. That's S-T-E-F-K-O. Um, and my I have links to everything from my profile um, for the newsletter and also for the podcast. So, yeah, I, I look forward to meeting some new fans. Great. Thank you very much for joining us. It was great. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.